Welcome, everyone, to the Radical Recovery Panel Decision. We are so happy everyone made it out today. We cannot hardly wait to get this day started. Woo, have we had some church around here this week. Woo, have we had some church around here this week. Was anybody here? Come on, I don't guess nobody up here was here. They're not as excited as I am to be here. So, anyways, they didn't have to start this off, so I had to start it off. You know, it is what it is. It is showing up. Anyways, we're so excited to be here today. We have some phenomenal speakers with us today. They are going to help us in so many ways we just can't even imagine how it's going to be. I'm going to start by introducing everyone. This is Mr. Alex Favre. Did I say that right? That's correct. He is from the Lafayette County Metro Narcotics. He is a guy that I have spent a lot of time avoiding <laughs> in my life. A lot of time avoiding. I see some of y'all laughing. Y'all know y'all did too. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it nice to not have to run oh, anymore? Hey, he called me and he's like, I want to come. I want to be a part of it. I'm like, sure, bro, sure. I probably owe you one. Come on. <laughs> then we have Mr. David Benson. He is from the Warrior Center. Um, he represents Warrior Center out of Olive Branch, out of Memphis, out of Bolivar, Tennessee, and out of West Helena, Arkansas. He's a busy man. Busy man. We, we, we have partnered with, with uh, Pastor David. Let me, let me rephrase it. Pastor David for quite a while now and had some, some phenomenal, phenomenal services in the Warrior Center and here. The ladies have joined us several times. So glad to have you, bro. So glad to finally meet you. So it's, a, it's an honor. Then we have Brother Lorenzo Knight from Victory Church over in New Albany. His wife, Sister Priscilla Knight, she's from Victory Church in New Albany. Sister, Sister Casey Johnese, she's from Jesus Name Tabernacle. I don't know who this dude is. Half the time I don't know either. <laughs> Pastor John Vasquez from right here in Bethlehem Church. Then we have Mr. Mark Stavall. He's from uh, Oxford Treatment Center. Did I pronounce your last name right? Stovall, I'm sorry. Uh, we have my friend, Brother Chris Payne. He's from uh, A Way Out Ministries over around the Tupelo area. We have Miss Mindy McKnight. She's from the Bridge House in Burnsville, the Bridge of Hope. She's got several different ministries she's involved in. They all start with Bridge. I know that much. So we're so glad to have her. And then we have Sister Misty Dameron. She's representing Broken Lives Ministry out of Nettleton, Mississippi, and Pontotoc, Mississippi. Man, we have a lineup. I'm telling you, we have a phenomenal lineup here. It's going to be so many questions answered, and I can't hardly wait to get started. But I think we should start this off with prayer. Pastor V, you want to pray us in? Lord, we thank you, God, for the privilege and the honor of serving you together with all these ministries. God, we thank you for the time that we have. I pray that you would guide our conversation. I pray that your presence would be here. I pray that most of all that you would be glorified. Thank you for giving us, Bethlehem Church, the privilege of working together with such great ministries that are serving your people, God, your people that need you. And Lord, we thank you, God, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Pastor. So look here, we're going to get into this, but when this is over, when we get through with our series of questions, we're going to open this up for questions that you guys may answer. So be thinking about what you would like to know. If it, you don't get your answer, be, be, be pondering on that, thinking about it. Try to keep it quick. Try to keep it, you know, to the topic so we can, we can help as many people as we can. So we're going to start out. Sister Misty, is it all right if I call you sister? 
Okay. Sister Macy, you want to start us out? Just tell us a little bit about yourself real quick. So um, I was in active addiction most of my life, my adult life, and my husband and I now both pastor and teach at Broken Lives Ministry. God gave us a purpose, and in that purpose, we have found that the accountability and being able to walk through life now is so much greater than anything we could ever imagined. In the Word of God, in John 10, 10, the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy, but God gave us to come to give us life exceedingly more than what we ever could imagine. So we walk in that every day knowing that it is a real blessing to be able to help others out there seeking help to want to have a better life than what addiction offered them. Amen. Thank you so much for that. It's awesome. Sister Mindy. Well, first of all, I'm here uh, representing the Bridget Burnsville. Um, we have several different ministries in our church that we're involved in. The Bridge House, which is a transitional home for women coming out of rehab. We also um, help with Safe Haven, which is a homeless shelter in Burnsville, Mississippi. And we have the Bridge of Hope, which includes... Um, our jail ministry, our Celebrate Recovery, and Be Free at our church. And my story kind of went like this. You know, I was an addict for 15 years, and one day in the penitentiary at Central Mississippi Correctional Facility, I had a divine encounter with the Holy Ghost. And I haven't touched a drug or a drink since. Praise God. Chris. Well, uh, my name is Chris Payne with The Way Out Ministry. First and foremost, let me just uh, give honor where honor is due. Thank you all for allowing yeah. us to be here and be a part of this. Thank you for what you're doing to bring awareness to the community and also unity amongst all the diverse that's here because we're all in this thing together trying to bring one common goal, hope to the hopeless. Amen. And so uh, my name is, like I said, Chris Payne with The Way Out Ministry. I dealt with addiction uh, 16 years in and out of jails, in and out of rehab, started at the age of 11. Um, today, I'm a full-time evangelist, minister, uh, way out ministry, basically what that is. We're not a facility ourselves, but we, what we are is we're a hub, we're a connection. So we have a back pocket full of resources. Matter of fact, we've got Oxford Treatment Center, we've got Broken Lives, we've got The Bridge in Burnsville, we've got all different connections because we run into individuals, not just here, but in other different states that's looking for help because what we run into is it's not so much that they don't want help, they just don't know what help's available. And so to be able to let individuals know that there is hope and there is a way out. So a lot of times individuals will reach out to us. I'll meet with them, talk with them, encourage them, and deciding what uh, need that is there, I'm able to connect them to the right place at the right time. You know, individuals coming out of jails and rehabs, connect them, because it's easy in jail and rehab, but the battle is also afterwards as well. So I'm able to connect them to a church in New Albany, or I'm able to connect them somewhere here in Potts Camp. And so it's a beautiful thing to just to have that unity, and that's our hope, is just to let others know that there's a way out. Amen. Thank you for that, brother. Smart. Wow, that's a tough one to follow up right there. I know I should it have sat over on this side. <laughs> Mark Stovall with the Oxford Treatment Center. Um, Y'all, most people don't understand, but right here in our own little backyard, you got the largest treatment center in the state of Mississippi with two locations out here, one in Etta, Mississippi, that hardly anybody can find unless you know where the trailers are located at out there because it's, it's, oh, it's way back in the middle of nowhere and another in Oxford, Mississippi right uh, past the funeral home, as a matter of fact. So they have a choice. Um, we hope they choose the Oxford Treatment Center. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm really glad to be here. I wanna say this about myself. I'm, I'm, I may be here um, as I'm telling y'all a little bit about the Oxford Treatment Center, but let me tell you something. If it wasn't for Jesus, 
Mark Stovall wouldn't be sitting in this chair, and I sure wouldn't be sitting in this church. So that's, that's who I want to reflect, okay? Thank you. Thank you for that, brother. I agree. It's hard to follow behind any of this that's been spoken already. As, as uh, Brother Chris was speaking, I started just put my iPad back here with all the notes. I'm like, he just covered the majority of it right then. But anyways, go ahead, brother. Well, I'm Pastor V from this church right here. Um, I've never been an addict. I don't know what it's like to grow up in the home of an addict. What I do know is that the church is not a museum for people who are perfect. The church ought to be an emergency room, an ICU for people that need God. If the church ever gets too good for broken people, then the church is too good. And so my job as a pastor, I feel like, is to empower people like Craig that have walked that path that I don't know about and turn people loose to work in the kingdom of God. It's my job as a pastor to facilitate connecting Bethlehem Church with people like these men and women who know how to help in ways that I don't know. And so I want to say again, thank you for being here. Thank you for helping us to help people. And that's my story. Thank you, Pastor V. Well, my name's Craig Work. I have done a lot of drugs in my life, a lot. Uh, I'm not proud of it, but I've done it. It's the truth. I grew up here, was born and raised here on these very pews. In fact, right back there where that camera's sitting right now, I can remember laying in my grandmother's lap at a very, very young age. I can remember my mama slapping me up under the pew and my grandma laughing about it, telling me I should have shut up. But long story short, I was born and raised here, walked away from it for about 20-something years. I become a methamphetamine addict. Long story short, God saved my life. After I had traded my life, my wife, my kids, and everything I ever had off to drugs, God restored all of that back to me, and I am so fortunate to be able to not only... Not, not only have my life back, my wife back, my kids and all that, but for God to use me in ways that he uses me is so fortunate, so humbling, and I cannot express to you all what it's like to be able to sit in, not, not just sit on this panel, but to be actually moderating this panel. Amen. Five years ago, I couldn't moderate myself, much less this. So thank you all for being a part of this. Thank you all for trusting in me, Pastor, Sister V. Thank you for, for allowing me to have my small play in this. So. That's who I am. Sister, Sister Johnny's. Hey, everybody. I'm Casey Johnny's from, I uh, live in Brandon, Mississippi now, but church is Jesus Name Tabernacle Church in Florence, Mississippi. And I've been clean and sober for 24 years. Amen. Hallelujah. King David made reference to the pit, and then he made reference to the horrible pit. My life was in a horrible pit. And on July 25th, 1999, on a hot night, about like we had last night, I repented of my sins. I was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And God delivered me from a lifetime of horrible generational curses. I talked about some last night. But um, in 2003, I started a school, became a certified drug and alcohol counselor for the state of Mississippi. I'm a certified peer support specialist with the Department of Mental Health. That's something that anybody can get if you are in recovery and if you work uh, with directly with uh, people in recovery. Um, I now, I've worked at the Friendship Connection in Jackson, Mississippi, um, on and off since 2003. I'm currently back there now. 
but um, it's a 90-day uh, drug and alcohol program for women who come straight from uh, prison. We do have some drug court beds and things like that, but um, I've been there on and off, like I said, since 2003. And, you know, working in this field, if you're in it for the money, you might as well go, you might as well go do something else. But um, what I've been in it for is filling those vans up on Sunday and bringing those ladies to church. One Sunday morning, we had 19 receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We've had hundreds baptized through the years since 2003. And what Pastor V and his wife and Craig are doing here at Bethlehem is what we've tried to do at Jesus Name Tabernacle. Um, so thankful for my pastor that he allows, you know, and has the same burden and vision that Pastor V has to, to help those that are battling addiction because the church is not a museum for saints, but it is a hospital for the lost. Amen. Amen. So we do life recovery at Jesus Name Tabernacle every Wednesday. We've done it since 2016. Judge Richard Redfern um, and different local authorities, they refer students to my class and, um, they, uh, the class is six months, you know, but I do a little soul hustling. So I'm like, I'm like, you know, if you come to Wednesday night class and Wednesday night church and Sunday morning church, man, you can finish this class in like eight weeks. And they're thinking they're getting a good deal. Oh, oh, bet, Miss Casey, bet. You know, I, I'm going to do that because I got things I got to do. I got things, you know. So they, you know, it's a little soul hustling, right? They start coming to Wednesday night class, then they walk up to Wednesday night church, then they come to Sunday morning service, and then the next thing you know, they're being baptized in Jesus' name, they're receiving the Holy Ghost, then they're becoming deacons, one of them has become my pastor's right hand, he's over the security team at Jesus' name, Tabernacle Church. So that's what we do um, at JNT. We also have jail ministry. One of the ladies that was baptized in Jesus' name just got out of Rankin County Jail a few days ago. She came straight to JNT Church, and she was baptized here last night. Amen. Thank you for that. I'm Priscilla Knight, and my husband and I are the outreach people for Victory Church. Um, I grew up in a single-parent home, a uh, broken home. Um, I, had, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol for over 20 years. Uh, I had a very, very bad marriage. Um, I've been shot at, I've been broken, I've been, you name it, and I've been there. I've been beat um, almost to a pulp. Um, my life was changed. 11, 12 years ago, when I walked into Victory Church, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I did not have a degree. I told God, if you want me here, you will order my steps and you will give me that degree. Amen. I got a degree. I am the director of VCA Daycare in New Albany. I oversee children. I oversee families. Um, my husband and I are outreach for the homeless program. We try to just pour into these people because we've been there before. We want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Thank you. My name is Bernard Knight. I'm with Victory Church. And pretty much like my wife said, that uh, you know we try to help people any way we possibly can. Uh, my story, I was addicted to drugs. Uh, 
man, I was addicted to a lot of things. I sold drugs. I mean, I ran the streets. I did almost seven years of my life in the penitentiary. Um, God, you know, when you sometimes when you reach the lowest time, point of your life, you know, if you're hard-headed like me, that's the, only, that's the only thing that it takes to hit rock bottom. So I was so hard-headed that, you know, God showed me signs of where I was headed and was trying to get me to turn my life around, but I never took heed to it. And when I was locked up, like you said, man, had a divine encounter with God on a rack, and I just broke down. I said, God, I done tried everything else, but I never tried you. So I'm laying it down on the line right. that you lead me, you guide me, and I put him in front of all of my addictions, and God seen me through it. Amen. Now I was released April the 26th, 2016. I had a choice of going to a barbecue with my family in the neighborhood or go to church. I had, a, I had my mind made up a long time ago because 90% of the people that was at the barbecue, I never seen or wrote a letter while I was in prison. So when I got released that evening, soon as I got released from prison, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at Victory Church, New Albany. And, and the amazing thing about it, I never, I never graduated. I never thought that I would be here right now. I mean, on this stage with, with y'all, I feel like Apostle Paul, I'm the least of all the saints. And I'm going to school now. I'm about to own my own business. This is things that only God can do. Yes. Nobody but God, and I give him all the honor and glory. Me and my wife, we in a lot of different ministries at our church. Uh, we got the jail ministry, the homeless ministry. Uh, we're trying to come up with a transformation house also. Um, and we just here to seek connections from each and every individual here because, you know, just like you said, we need, to, we need to unite and get this thing done because there are a lot of hungry souls out there that's waiting to, for us to, you know, to, to speak and, and pour the word of God into them. I'm David Vincent uh, with the Warrior Center. Those are beautiful stories. And one thing I, th I think in the working in the field of treatment and recovery is, is that um, in the world of addiction, it's a mission field out there. There's just so many people. And it's great to meet these people up here. If we all had 100 centers each, we would barely touch the problem, you know, because, you know, the devil's out there killing, stealing, and destroying. And he's hurting a lot of lives, a lot of families. And so um, I consider we're all front lines, amen. But I, I really appreciate pastors like pastor v and churches that have have a, a heart for this you know what i mean this is this is king david in the cave of the doolum type stuff but you know i believe that some of the worst the least of those in the worst god can raise up in those caves mighty soldiers for him and and i also believe you know i believe there's a revival god's working on is coming amen i believe many of us are believing that and god will use many drug addicts prostitutes, yes. all, you know, uh, pri former prisoners, felons, and raise them up yes. to lead the charge. Because, you know, and, 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 and I love that verse. It says, he who has been forgiven much 
loves much. And I love the Lord a lot, y'all, because I was touched in a UPC church at 11 years old. God touched me. I believe I was a child of God from that point, but I also lived in a broken home. I also didn't have a dad. I also had a, a stepdad who cr killed three people. Uh, I was abused. My mom had mental problems, and I was in started fires. I got kicked out of schools. But I went to jail every year of my life from 14 to 28. Had 18 felony burglaries on my record. I was in jail for my last five. I was headed to prison for 15 years. And I basically, on a jail cell floor, January 21st, 1997, I just cried out on the Lord for mercy. And I did that jailhouse stuff before. But he always, because I think he had his hand on me and loved me, he, he gave me mercy even sometimes when he knew what I would do. And, right, right. And, and I had tried so many times, and I just hit that point. I said, if you'll give me a chance, one more chance, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my life. And I meant it that time. And uh, he turned to 15 years into one. I was discipled during that one. A couple years later, I'm in street ministry and jail ministry. And Praise me and a couple God. friends started uh, the Warrior Center. But it's all by the grace of God. Certainly, didn't, I didn't deserve it. But I do, I, looking back now, I see how, you know, the enemy was training me up on the dark side. And God let me get trained up over there. And then God got a hold of me, pulled me on the other side to, to try to, you know, get on the front lines and help some people. So praise God for that. What the Warrior Center is, we're a... We have five warrior centers. We have five recovery campuses. Uh, we call ourselves, you know, rescue missions with with a long-term recovery program. So we work we work with men, women, and also 15% of our people are veterans. So men, women, and veterans who are homeless, battling addiction, or any life-controlling problems. Because you know, there's a lot more. There's drugs are the biggest thing, but you also got gambling, pornography, you know, all kinds That's of stuff. Right, and we we see a, a lot of that. But it's basically an intense one-year discipleship program that try to, we, we say we can't help nobody, but if I can get you seeking God, he'll change your life. Amen. And, and I'll say this last thing. I know a lot, a lot of you, you, the saints out here, but we're all giving you tools to go out there and help some people lead people different directions and, 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 and some, some knowledge, you know, uh, the Bible says, you know, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Are you going to take this knowledge and, you know, tell, tell, get that and let people know. But one thing I know is that God is merciful and he's got better for if you're anybody battling addiction, you know, we don't need to beat them over the head and tell them how awful they are. That never helped when they told me that. When they told me you ain't never going to change and you, you know, my ex-wife's father was a deacon. He visited the jail and told me it was the worst person I ever knew. I would never change, and he hoped I'd never see my kids again, right? And, then, of course, I did a lot of things to make him mad, right? One thing, <laughs> one, one thing I know, one thing I know is that when, you're, when th those people are in that mess and hurting and, just, uh, and the devil has a hold of them and, and, and they're mad at God because their life is so horrible, and, and the biggest thing I say is, like, God has better for you. This ain't, the God does, has so much better for you than this. But you got to turn to him. You got to learn to seek him, and you'll you'll get the blessing of deliverance. That's right. Amen. Thank you. What happened with starting over here? <laughs> Mark, you was worried about following three people. You come over here and follow ten. <laughs> there is no way. Oh, I'm Alex Falver. I'm Captain Lafette County Metro Narcotics Unit. I have a little over 25 years of law enforcement experience with over 17 of those being in narcotics. Uh, I worked Pontiac County for a little while. I was a part of North Mississippi narcotics there, uh, Tupelo.
and I came to Oxford in 2012, and I've been a part of Lafayette County Metro Narcotics ever since then. Uh, you know, and I'll be honest, I, like the preacher, I've never been an addict. I've never done any type of illegal narcotics, but addiction is in my family. I've had cousins, uncles, several who were addicts. Uh, a few years ago, I was a part of a side I've never been. I've always been in the enforcement side of it. So when you deal with intervention, I dealt with one uh, probably four or five years ago, really the first time I was on the intervention side of things. And it opened my eyes to a lot. And that's why when I was contacted and asked to come and be a part of this today, I agreed. Thank you for that. Can we give them all a hand? Yes. Thank you so much. I can't hardly wait to get into this. These are some phenomenal stories, phenomenal people. As we can tell, I wish we could sit here and hear everyone's individual story in depth because I know you have a lot of knowledge to share. So let's get into this real quick. Questions for the panel is, if you have gone through recovery, what did that process look like for you? Did you go to treatment center for how long? Some of you that's been in treatment, speak on that. Anybody can go first. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, well, like I said, I started at the age uh, of 11, and I'm not going to get into the whole story, but I got to give you a little bit to give you all of it, so to speak. But uh, so grew up without a father, never met him, knew nothing about him. Uh, so I already had that sense of rejection, started using drugs at the age of 11 for acceptance and all those different things. And so... Uh, the three things I said I would never do, come on now, if you've ever been there before, he's like, I'm never going to do that. I know people like that, but I'm not going to do that. The three things I said I would never do, I'd never smoke crack, never shoot up, never steal from my family. I'd done all three of them before I turned the age of 18. And at that point in time, just spiraled downhill. I went, um, got caught up in some trouble and stuff, and I went to my first rehab uh, in 2000, probably five or six, I went to the um, Haven House in Oxford. And I tell people like this, I went because I had back problems. What, what does that mean? I had my family and the law on my back. I went to go get them off my back. But little did I know that as I went, listen, it doesn't matter why sometimes, little did I know as, that's why I went. But while I was there, I was sitting in a group with people and started relating. Like, you know what? I do, I do have a problem. I do have, this is, and I'm starting to understand and see things. And so it opened my eyes up to things. And, um, and I remember getting on the phone with a buddy of mine. And I told him, I said, listen, when I get out of here, I'm not touching that such stuff ever again. I said, but when, when, when I leave, we're going to, I turned 21 in there. And I said, when I leave, we're going to go to the bowling alley and we're going to get drunk, you know? <laughs> so just, uh, but I've never had a problem with that. It's all these other different things. So I learned a lot from knowing what not to do from trying all the other different things. So fast forward. That was my first rehab. I went to seven different rehabs from the age of 20 to 27. Graduated them, done good. I'll be honest with you, I'm a poster child of rehab. I'm, I mean, I can, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, you tell me what to do, I can do it. You know, I'm eating and, and all the other different things. And, and so, but I'm in there and, um, and, I, and through all of them, they tell you, you know, change your people, places, and things. Change your people, places, and things. Well, I would the first time, went back, moved in with my mom and ended up, um, Two weeks into it, you know, she's my accountability partner. She's going to help me out. Two weeks into it, I'm depressed. I'm 20-something years old living on my mom's couch. And go back doing the same thing. 
Change again. People, places, and things. Well, I'm going to do the man thing. I'm going to go and get me a job. I'm going to take care of family. I'm going to do all that stuff. So I went and got a job at a factory at Hancock Fabrics. So I'm there. And out of those hundreds of people there, guess what? I can draw near and dear to that one other person that struggled with addiction. So we're on that assembly line and we're talking. And we're not talking about the bad times, but we're talking about the good times. And we're talking about the war stories. And the next thing you know, you know what's his name. And then we start relating. I'm in the parking lot at lunchtime getting high. And so fast forward, I keep going, keep going back into rehab, back into rehab. And um, March 4th, 2013, I'm back at my mom's house again, 27 years old. And uh, I get two phone calls. First phone call was my boss man. He said, Chris, um, uh, I know you stole my pills. Come and turn yourself in or I'm calling the law. And of course, I'm denying it. And by this time, I'm looking out the window, paranoid as all get out, thinking the law's fixing to come up. And then, then I got my mom calling and she says, Chris, I'm done with you. Today's the day. Out of my house, on the streets. I don't care where you go. I don't care what you do, but I'm done with you. And to be honest with you, I thank God for a mom and a tough love because if mama kept pulling me out and grandma kept pulling me out, I never let the good Lord pull me out. Amen. And so... And I remember picking up the phone. There's a lady named Dodie Vale. She was over uh, NCADD, and she would be my resource connection. She would always help me get somewhere. And y'all, I picked up the phone and called her and told her what was going on. She said, Chris, you've tried every rehab around here and in such a long mile radius or whatever. I said, okay. She said, you need to do something different. I said, that's what people have been telling me all my life, what I need to do. And little did she know, I don't think she knew exactly what she was doing with the Lord. Knew. She said, uh, she said, you've done tried every secular program around here. Listen, and I'm not knocking secular programs. So I'm going to talk about that in a second. You done tried every secular program around here. You, yeah, you need, you need to try a faith-based program. In other words, you need to try Jesus. Come on now. I was trying everything else to fix a problem, okay? And I, and I told him, I said, listen, okay, I'll do whatever. I don't care. Once again, I was running, but little did I know that as I was running from my problems, my situation, I was running to a father the whole time ready to take me in. And so I ran to the Russellville Dream Center, and my mom dropped me off. She wasn't coming back to get me in anything, and then... Uh, and I remember it wasn't like Jesus himself sat down beside me with the long hair and, and everything revealed himself to me. What happened, Craig, is I seen it in somebody else. And I said, man, I want what they got. This, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I've got, they've got purpose, they got passion, they got fire. And I tell you, it caused me to not chase, not to chase the man, but chase the God of the man, you know? And through that, it stirred up a hunger and a thirst from all that. But, but it's a, but here's the thing. Somebody said something about David, and I'm going to end on this because I'm the preacher side of me as well can kind of come out if I'm not careful. But uh, somebody said something about David. I remember there was a wise woman uh, at the Dream Center, and she, uh, she told me she was a teacher. She said, Chris, you remind me of David. I said, okay, well, what do you mean? She said, David ran a lot of times, and he ran and hid out in caves. And as he was running and hiding out in caves, God was picking off of him little bit by little bit to become the mighty warrior that he created him to be. And that's what you've done. You've ran, but God was doing a work in you the whole time to bring you to where you're at right now. And, and it was, um, it's a six month program, uh, the Russellville dream center. Y'all stayed there five and a half years and, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but, I, but it was what trained me up to be the mighty warrior I am today to send me out. But going through all those other different secular programs, I don't knock them. I mean, and everything, because the thing about it is those is what opened my eyes up to the greater, the, the problem of what the need for, for what was to take place. And, uh, and so it was, I mean, it was a lengthy process, but the Lord worked it all out for the good.
That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. So good. So good. Any, anyone else been in treatment? Pastor V, you been in treatment? Whenever I, um, I heard that question, I, I, I was talking to Adrian on the way down here, and uh, I was just kind of looking at the questions, and he said, he said, well, what are you going to say? And I said, which rehab? I've been to six, you know, because that's, that was really the way my life was. It was just in this turmoil where I was doing everything, like you said, to get people off my back to um, try to save face, and I couldn't because Jesus was the last thing I tried and the first thing that worked. And the thing was is that by the time I got to prison, I couldn't, I didn't even know if I really believed in God. I didn't know how I believed. And whenever, um, you know, the Princess Within Conference came and it was uh, this group of people, uh, Craig was there, Pastor V, Sister V, Ashley was there, Sister Michelle was there, um, Kenyon was there um, when they came and and I was like I don't want anybody to talk to me you know my, my recovery is a little different because I was radically delivered and um, when this man came to me and said I need to pray for you God's going to use you and I said you you don't know who you're talking to like I'm it ain't me you got the wrong girl and he began to pray for me and the tears began to, to begin to come and um I was filled with the Holy Ghost, and I was radically delivered right there, right then, January 26 of 2020. So my recovery looks a little different than, you know, going to rehab and, and actually being successful. So good. So my life, I had grew up in a religious background. It doesn't matter about the denomination, but I grew up living under a law that I would never be able to uphold any, of, any one or all of the Ten Commandments. That's all I knew God by. So I grew up um, under the impression that I would never be good enough to have the love of God. So as I went in through life and went about my addiction, um, I learned how to make dope, so I never went a day without it. And it was okay living in that lifestyle until the day that it wasn't. And the day that it wasn't was in 2019. A man came to my house, and it was um, a pastor. And when he mentioned the name Jesus, something changed inside of me that day. But it took two years almost before I got to the point to... Um, to the point where I ended my life, I committed suicide September the 21st of 2020. I hung myself and I took my own life. And in that moment when I was clinically dead, now I see that Misty had to die in the physical in order for God to live through me. So I ended up in um, a faith-based program two months later, I mean two weeks later, excuse me. And I also had a radical encounter with God. In that moment, when I walked in that facility, it was a just a, no words that can be put to it except for God put a love in me, something I was willing to die for because I couldn't understand why nobody loved me. And so God started pouring out his love on me. And in the process of recovery, um, I have to go through some huge changes in life. I had to learn how to accept someone's love. I went through a whole life of learning behavior that was very inadequate of how I needed to be living my life to actually living a life that God put forth in front of me. And I was telling someone earlier that 
um, I learned to have less and not need for nothing and to allow myself to become susceptible to allowing myself to do things to myself and others to do things to myself because it wasn't their fault, it was mine. I made my own choices. So once I started walking in the light of God, he started pouring into me and letting me know that I had standards and boundaries and so going through this program at Broken Lives, I was able to learn how to cook and clean. I didn't know how to do that stuff. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know how to do laundry. I knew how to go weeks without showering. You know, you want to be real. Like I knew how to live just to get by without anything, the bare minimum. So, you know, God elevated me and going into an, ex, an um, abundant life, you know, everything that I have from here on out is going to be an elevation from glory to glory because, you know, you go from having absolutely nothing to having everything to gain through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So good. Yeah, I just want to tell you guys that um, the Friendship Connection that I work at is a secular treatment center, and um, they do AA and NA, and they have moved more into Celebrate Recovery, but thankfully the Lord has um, allowed me favor with the directors that have been there, and, um, you know, I just knew when to hold them and when to fold them, you know what I'm saying? I'm here working, I can do my job through the Department of Mental Health, and then, look, you know, my whole week is these ladies want to come to church on Sunday. So we don't have to go in with both guns blazing, you know, uh, hitting them in the head with Acts 238. But I tell them, when you come into that church and you come to that altar, it's free game. It's free game now. I went to detox uh, one time. I overdosed on crack cocaine and Soma. And uh, my mother and my brother, my baby brother was standing at the hospital bed weeping. The doctor made me go to detox. It was in that detox, my soul was so hungry. I was starving to death spiritually. And they gave me a piece of paper that had the serenity prayer on it. Amen. And I began to recite that serenity prayer. It is a very simple but powerful prayer for people in recovery. And something, a seed, went into my heart from that prayer. I never completed treatment, but it was just a few months after that detox at Pine Grove in Hattiesburg um, that I fell on my knees and appealed in drunken stupor after I tried to commit suicide, and I began to call on the name of Jesus. I ended up in an apostolic Pentecostal church a couple of hours from my, my hometown of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and I said, really, God, I ask you to help me. And you got me in the church with all these people running and jumping. Amen. Amen. And they, they putting oil on each other and all this stuff. <laughs> what is really happening? And then they said they was having foot washing. I said, they finna wash each other's feet. Like, I said, Lord, what is really going on? But by the end of it, I said, look, y'all need to get a water gun, one of those big water guns, and fill that thing full of oil and start at the top of my head and just spray me all the way down. So when I moved in with uh, some apostolic people, I said, man, these people ain't got no TV in this house. What are we going to do about Monday night wrestling? <laughs> You know, and then I'm looking around. I'm like, it's so quiet in here. You know, I'm used to the trap house, you know. I'm used to all kind of racket and noise. And so it's so quiet in there. I'd walk all the way out, way past their house to smoke a cigarette because 
I had respect. And um, I tried to listen to some Tupac on the radio. I said, man, that don't even sound right in these people's house. So the Lord was dealing with me. But, you know, and then I asked him, I said, so y'all do this every day, man? Y'all just get up every day and y'all go to work? And then y'all come home and go to bed? You know, and they were like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we do around here. We go to work and go to bed and go to church. So I'm taking all this stuff in because I'm used to juking all night, partying all night, sleeping all day, you know, hustling somebody for $50 to pay the probation officer. But um, secular treatment centers, they have their part. And does a lady yes. named Michelle work with you? I sent y'all two people in the past two weeks. I work now for Dr. Joseph Quintus at Precise Clinical Research. I work there full-time. I work at Friendship part-time. And so the Lord, when I started out learning about the alcohol and drug, you know, had the street stuff, then God said, well, let's look at this with the alcohol and drug. And then he led me into the mental health part of it. And the mental health is what I'm extremely compassionate about because you cannot, it's the whole body, the mind, body, and soul. So I just wanted to share that with y'all. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Anyone else on the first question? Nobody else? All right. So for my journey, for me to go into treatment, I can remember I was, I was sent in on a writ. And, you know, you hear a lot of people say a lot of times you can't make anybody get it. You can't just make anybody do what they want. They got to want it for themselves. I did not want it for myself. I was having a good time smoking my dope. And but my wife seen fit that I needed it. My mom seen fit that I needed it, so they made it happen. So I went. But I'll never forget my cellmate was an older older gentleman and he said he looked at me, he said, Craig, he said, You got four boys at home, you got a beautiful wife at home. He said, If you don't get it right this time, if you don't get it right this time, you're gonna be a homeless, toothless junkie just like the rest of us. And I immediately took my tongue and I went to counting my teeth in my mouth and I thought <laughs> Well, I don't have many more tries, <laughs> so I better get it right this time. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but yeah, that's that's kind of the way it looked for me. And uh, I went to the Haven House to a secular uh, rehab, and uh, it was it was good. I mean, you know, because I feel like I got that connection with God while I was there in county jail, and and it just you know I feel like we can carry God anywhere, and anything can happen for us as long as we go into it with God. So my. Um, the Haven House was good for me. It showed me a perspective of things. It showed me that person that you were talking about, Chris. You know, I seen myself. I also seen other people, and I thought, you know what? That's what I want. And that led me to become on the journey of finding other people. That's what I want, which eventually led me to this guy sitting in the swing beside me at rehab, which I grew up with him, around him. I knew him all my life. But, you know, it, it led me to this guy sitting beside me in that swing, and I'm like, you know what? That's what I want. That's what I want. So I relate to that, what you're saying about when you see that in people and you realize that's who you want. And you can't deny God. Amen. You can't deny Jesus on anybody. So that's, that's where it's at. And you can uh, find him anywhere. Let me, let me say something real quick. I say this. There's one way to heaven, right? That's through, that's through Jesus Christ, you know, the way, the truth, and life. There's one, one way to heaven, but there's many ways. That's one way to heaven is through Jesus, but there's many ways to Jesus. Amen. And I say that it doesn't have to be at church. It doesn't have to be at a faith-based rehab. It doesn't have to be at this rehab. It can be in the crack house. Come on now. It can be in the ditch out there. And so, I mean, they're, they're, the limits of what God can do and where he can do it is limited. List. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. All right. Question number two. This is for you guys that are in treatment that 
do that for a living. Uh, those of you that are part of a treatment facility, what does the process look like for someone coming to your facility? How long is the stay? What is the cost? Is insurance accepted, et cetera? Well, I can start us out there. <laughs> yeah. So um, it looks different. It depends on what kind of treatment center you're trying to access. So the Oxford Treatment Center is, is a private facility. They take most every insurance known to man. People cash pay to come in, a scholarship people to come into the treatment center. We get money from all over the place to treat people. We stay busy all the time. It doesn't have to look any certain way. I get people from under bridges in Memphis, Tennessee. They come, they're treated like the guy who flew in from Dubois and landed his private jet and came in. It's the same kind of treatment. We love them all equally. And uh, so I have people that are, like you were talking about, Michelle, she's a business development rep. So we're owned by an entity called American Addiction Centers, right? So American Addiction Centers owns us and they have business development reps. They have a call center. You can call an 800 number, talk to somebody. They can help you access care at any given time. I have all kind of information out on the table. Amanda Dollar uh, has a little table out in the lobby. Um, but if we can't connect you with us, we connect you with somebody because it's about you getting treatment. That's, that's the way it's supposed to work. And uh, what's the cost? The cost is different everywhere. I mean, I love what I'm hearing up here, the, the, just how much community is developed and connected right yes. here. Because, you know, people Amen. think, well, if I got to go to Oxford, I got to be rich. You got to be rich to go. No, please. I mean, uh, you know, they might tell us they're rich when they come. They're not. People are broken and hurt and hopeless, and they need something. And, and you're right. Jesus is everywhere. <laughs> Let me tell you what. I got some of the finest Christian folks on the planet that work for me. And I know the second that I allow them an opportunity to have time with a human being, oh, yeah. Jesus is reflected through the voice that's coming out of their body. And so uh, we, we have just recently started a uh, separate track. It's an option for people if they want to have a Christian approach to their recovery in our treatment center. So we love everything that comes through that. Now, I worked for the State Department of Mental Health for a long time. I actually been to the, 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 the facility that you're talking about. Um, God's been really good to me. He's allowed me to do a lot of fun and wonderful things as I've gone through my own personal recovery. So with Department of Mental Health, you know, we were connected. I actually got to run the bureau where the federal money came into that supported all of those facilities that y'all were talking about. That's how good Jesus is. You hear me? I mean, I was a broken nothing. You got me from a podunk town called Clarksdale, Mississippi, where you got to have a pistol to drive through today. And I love it. I love my little town, right? I mean, I love it. I had nothing. I had no education hardly. The Lord sent me back to school and got me educated yes. and, uh, and said, I'm going to stand you on your feet and you're going to do my work in this community. Amen. And he said, now I want you to reach out because I've given you a lot, Mark. I saved you from a lot. Yeah. I remember sitting in my bedroom one day with a pistol. No, I had a shotgun, excuse me. And uh, I was done. And I said, this is it. I'm through. I don't want to live. I don't want to breathe. I'm a complete failure as a human being in this world. And I remember sitting there and I had that gun in my hand. And I look over and I had a picture of my son sitting on the counter. And when I looked at him, it just, it, it hit me. It's like, I can't, I can't do this to him. But I didn't care about me. And this is why I love Jesus so much, right? 
because we bring people up. We talk about the Lord. I wish more people would during the time of my brokenness. I wish I had church people walking up say, let me tell you about Jesus, son. I want, I want to reach into your brokenness. I want to tell you about Jesus. People were scared of me. They didn't want to come in. They didn't want to tell me about that. They didn't want to come through that. Very few people tried to. What they did was they said, keep him away from your children. Ostracize him out. Don't let him be a part of the group, right? But boy, when I reached back out and I said a little prayer to the Lord that day, I said, let me tell you how broken I was, man. I said, I don't even know if you remember who I am. I'm hurting and I've become a man that I don't want to be. And I said, and I need you. I need you now. And a peace that defied all understanding hit me that day. I mean, uh, and then two weeks later, I ended up in jail. I said, God, let me clarify some things about what I was hoping was going to happen. Right? Yeah, I was not specific. God does things his way, right? I laid back on that, that slab hanging out of the wall because they didn't have any blankets, they didn't have any pillows, and they didn't have any of the bunk mats that go on there. So I'm laying on that hunk of steel laying out, and I look up above me, and there's the Lord's Prayer. Right? And I started reading it. Now, when I tell you that from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes felt like I was anointed with the Spirit of God. I felt like I caught on fire. Like it was, I can't explain it. It was so powerful that I was whisked out of my own body and I was standing there and I was looking at myself saying that prayer and Jesus wrapped his hands around me. It's an amazing experience. I mean, says, you know, I try to tell people who don't believe that story and they're like man you was hallucinating dude you was hallucinating i wasn't hallucinating i know what was happening but to access care you know it takes god stands us on our feet and he puts us out there and we have a heart as a matter of fact i gave away so many scholarships last year i got in trouble <laughs> with the people that owned the company and i told him he said i said you might want to find a new director i said because i'm gonna help these people Amen. and i said Amen. God has blessed this place and we're going to bless other folks. So, you know, I just want you to know there's all kind of places across the state. You can log into the Department of Mental Health website. There's an alcohol and drug guide that's on there under, and you can pull that guide up and it lists every place in, in the state of Mississippi where you can access care. Um, if you, if you're part of a nonprofit or, or nonprofit or some kind of private agency, you can get your name added to that resource directory and anybody can go in there and do it. So I would encourage anybody to do that. There's completely free places. There's places where you can pay a lot of money. I don't think any one of them do it any better than the others. Amen. There's people who work in a scientific base. They look, they study psychology and I think there's places for that. And then there's places that love you until you begin to have some kind of soul and you love yourself again, you know, where people's, where, where the reflection of Jesus just covers you up and makes you better. So, uh, I would tell you that there is hope. Amen. Don't ever give up. And you're talking about a writ. I got folks coming to me on writs all the time. Like they'll, they'll say you either go into jail. I mean, a drug court, a matter of fact, about 10 drug court, uh, judges are going to be at my facility next week. And they're going to come and tour the facility, right? And because I'm a big believer in drug court. We didn't have drug court back in my day. I wish we did because they needed to put me locked. They needed to hold me a lot longer, you know. But uh, I really, I'm a big believer in drug court. So I want them to see our place. I want them to come out so they can send us some folks. Thank you for that. Anyone else? 
at the Warrior Center, uh, of course, we're like a, pl- a place of last resort, resort. We have court-ordered residents. We have, you know, a lot of times people coming into our program because it's a one-year program. You know, all bridges are burned. Family, like, they're either homeless or they're going to be if they don't get some help. So being a charity and a ministry, there's no charge for us. There's not a lot of hoops to jump through. So uh, that's just the way, you know, we're, we're set up. So when a, a man or woman gives us a call, we can actually we do an orientation on the phone, we can actually accept them over the phone and get them on their way to getting some help. Uh, You can find information uh, about us on on the website as warriorcenter.org. That's warriors with an S, center.org. Talks about the campuses, the intake process, that sort of thing. Thank you for that. Um, So Broken Lives is a six-month program. What we do, we house right now 35 women and up to 90, 90 men. Um, we allow people to come in. There are a few stipulations. If you are a sex offender, they do not allow that in. Um, but other than that, you, you can come back unless you're a repeat offender, like you've been black flagged or whatever. Um, we have a $275 entry fee, but we allow people to come in. The women come in with a two week blackout where they will start work after two weeks if you are able to work. If not, they'll they'll find you somewhere where you will have some kind of income. You will go to work um, after two weeks. You will be able to pay your $275 entry fee on your out of your first check, and then every week, therefore, after, it will be a 35% taken out of your check. You are able to keep your money, but you don't get to, like, go to Walmart and do all these things. You, you know, they do have staff that will do store runs and stuff. The men has a 30-day blackout. They need a little bit longer to mop the floors 20 or 30 times a day because they, you know, they need that filling up. They've had to be so hard out there in the world, you know, and be so tough that they need that love, you know, a little bit more so than the women we've seen in the past. So they have classes throughout the day. They'll have classes. They'll have chores. Um, afternoons, you have afternoon classes and chores. Uh, the, there's a purpose and a place for everyone. And to me, what it does is it sets you up um, for what you're going to be doing in the ministry for the Lord. Because once you graduate the program, the success rate of people going out and making it is pretty high if they allow themselves to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I believe you're being set up to be okay with a person that might sweep the church floors or someone that might go in and dust a church. Our church is set up inside of the ministry. It wasn't a church that has a rehab in it. It's a rehab that has the church inside of it. Um, we were blessed enough that Shane Scribner had this vision from God. He started out with three or four men in his basement of his home and then soon had to move to another building and then he moved into the old armory building in Nettleton. But I would also like to say with hope in the future, Shane just just purchased 55 acres and the new facilities will house uh, 75 to 100 women and the men's facility will house 125 men. After the six months, we do not have a transition place per se, um, but we do have friends, brothers and sisters in Christ that also have ministry, so we just stay connected and we help get you transitioned into the next stage of life. It's not like you graduate and you're on your own. You graduate and you go forth with a purpose, with the availability to be to go somewhere else, to continue the life that God has set out before you. So good. So um, 
the Bridge House is a transitional home for women. We only house four women at the moment because we feel like that um, that is the most that one person can actually pour into and help them get to the next stage of life. It is a work program, so it is absolutely free for a woman to come to the Bridge House. The only requirement is that we like for them to have at least 30 days of rehab. We'd like for them to have 90, but if they have 30, we can take them. We just can't take anybody that cannot pass a drug test. And we don't like to take them directly off the streets because um, sometimes they're not ready. And um, so we like for them to make that commitment to rehab first. And then whenever they get there, um, we get them a job. We take them back and forth to work. Um, they have a, tw like, when they get their job, they'll do 25% out of their check as a bed fee. And then 25% goes into a savings account for, um, for them. Whenever they complete the program, they will get all of that money back. Um, I believe in this program. I've seen lives changed because of this program. I have um, women that are there now. I have women um, with me today that are there now. I have um, women that have graduated from there and are still in our church and are active members. And um, Candy Kahn is the director. She um, is the house mother there. She lives there with the women. She's the lady in the... Stand up, Candy. <laughs> and um, she is... Um, great at pouring into those women and showing them what it's like to live for the Lord after rehab without all the, you know, the, the strict rules and stipulations, but they still have responsibilities in the home to go to church um, Sunday morning, Wednesday night. They go to uh, celebrate recovery on Tuesday nights. They go to live in free Amen. on um, Thursdays and um, it's a great program. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. Some of these questions we have already covered just within conversation. So I'm going to just uh, pick a few of them uh, for the sake of time because I want to open this up for everyone else. So uh, tell me something. Some of you, uh, Mr. Mr. Alex, I, why don't you talk about real quick what, what the drug overdose rates are like right now? I know y'all posted some stuff in Oxford here recently. T talk about that for just a moment if you don't mind. You know, our overdose rates have skyrocketed over the last couple of years. Absolutely. Um, and I won't call any names, but I was called to a treatment center where they'd had an overdose at the center. Someone had gotten stuff in. And I was talking to the guy. He was from Baltimore, Boston, somewhere up north. said he got hooked on the opioids when he was 15 years old. He was on heroin for years, uh, then he got known to fentanyl, everything. I was talking to him and I asked him, I said, why would you transition from heroin to fentanyl? Heroin is probably, I mean, I don't know the statistics, probably a 40, 50% chance of overdose. With fentanyl, it's more of an 80 to 90% chance of overdose. And I said, it's both opioids, both kind of the same thing. Why would you transition from heroin to fentanyl? And he looked at me and he said, an addict had rather be starving to death, not have eaten in three days or had water than to be sober. He said, when we hear someone overdoses and dies from it, us addicts seek his dealer. Mm -hmm. 
That is the high we're all looking for. You know, and when he was, he was probably one of the ones that opened my eyes the most as to what an addict. When you sit here and say that someone is, knows a pill came from this person that killed someone and they're all going to go there to get it, you know, I, I don't know what you say to that. Uh, I don't know how to combat that. But our overdose rate has, is through the roof across the state, not just in our community, but it's, it's up all over DeSoto County, Madison, Rankin, all down through there. Uh, when we first started seeing a lot of the fentanyl and overdose went up, we were seeing it in Xanax. We were seeing a lot of press Xanax pills, uh, testing positive for fentanyl in them. We haven't seen any of those now in a couple of years. Everything we're seeing right now is M30s, Percocet, pills. Uh, there's other communities, not necessarily in ours. We found a little fentanyl in meth one time a year and a half or two ago, but most everything we're finding is in Percocet pills. There's around the state, they have found fentanyl in meth, cocaine, and other drugs as well. But right now, everything we're seeing is in Percocet, pill presses. Uh, we got people pressing this stuff in their carport. Oh, we wow. actually got a pill press uh, two months ago, I guess it was, and I think we were the first agency in North Mississippi to get a pill press. I think they'd gotten one down on the coast uh, prior to that. But what we're seeing is that the people, I'm not saying some are not getting a hold of fentanyl, not knowing what it is, but what we're seeing, most of them are looking for it. They're seeking it. I know speaking from an addict's perspective, when I was out there, it, it, you know, maybe not chasing the overdose, but if I heard Joe Blow down the street had a fire sack of dope, I, was, I wasn't going to inspect it. I was going to try it. That's what I was after, that high that people were talking about. I never, I never tested nothing. I mean, if I would have, I wouldn't have never been in the business to begin with or in the, the, the trench, the, the, the pit, rather, is the better word for it. But so what you're talking about, like they're chasing that, that next to death high. You know, I can, I can honestly say and say that every time I did what I did, I didn't do it with expecting to be almost dead. But I didn't really care as long as I got high either. Yeah. You know, I mean, just that, that was just the way it was. You know, we have uh, we got a package coming through the mail a year or so ago. had 40 fentanyl pills in it. They had also ordered naloxone with it, and Narcan, but injectable. And that guy told us, he said, look, we have, instead of a designated driver like drunks would have, we have a dedicated Narcan man. He said, we'll have pill parties and four or five of us get around. We take a pill, one person don't take any. And he's there to Narcan us. And after an hour or two, if nobody has had trouble or complication, then he'll take his pill. You know, so I mean, it's to the point where when you designate a Narcan person, I mean, it's you know what you're going to do at that point. My husband and I, we recently had an experience. Um, 
we actually have a lot of experiences with this, but we were at the lake with some family members and uh, one of the family members bought a couple of Xanax from someone and um, the young woman that took one of the Xanax, a piece of the Xanax with us, we had no idea this was even going on. Um, we walked into the hotel room and she was completely blue, foaming at the mouth, and she stopped breathing. She was she was dying. And so it was a fentanyl overdose. But we've had, um, I worked on a Suboxone clinical research trial and the women that would come in and gentlemen, uh, you know, they tell me they've been, you know, doing this or doing that. Uh, one particular drug or two, but when I would give them a urine drug screen, they would like the drug screen up for everything. So there is no more days of going to the dope man's house and thinking that you're buying meth and there's not three or four other things in the meth. And the days of going and buying Xanax or buying Percocet, that is no more. If you buy anything off the street um, and you think that you're just wanting to get this or want to get that, the majority of the time, you're going to light that drug screen up. I've had them uh, test positive for PCP, MDMA, um, oxycodone, fentanyl, heroin. I mean, just like the whole drug screen uh, is pretty much lit up. So uh, we just all should take that in consideration because it's, you know, back in the day you go and you say you wanted a bag of meth, you got a bag of meth. Well, now you're getting a bag of meth plus some fentanyl and plus a couple other things in there. Well, you know, and when you talk about that, the, the meth game has changed so much over the years. Right. So when I first got into this law enforcement in 1998, meth lab was a lot of cooks. I right. mean, we had a lot of meth labs around here. All right. Now, we don't ever see any meth labs anymore. And the difference in the meth now is all coming out of Mexico. It's a lot purer form. It, it's totally different than what it was when I first started. And when you look at users, you can see a difference there. Yes, you can. If you remember, used to a meth addict would have sores all over them. I've seen people come to jail and pick their scabs off or try to buy someone else's scabs to chew on them, thinking that they were going to get some kind of residual high from it. The meth we have now is a lot pure form. It don't have the impurities and some stuff the other used to have. Exactly. And it's a totally different effect. So what are they putting in it in Mexico? Who knows? Uh, when you talk about MDMA, ecstasy, the last ecstasy we've gotten in the last four or five years has all come back positive for methamphetamine. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, it's not coming back for MDMA. The, uh, what MDMA we've gotten is getting powder and stuff off the dark net from places. All your ecstasy now coming out of Mexico will test positive for methamphetamine, not MDMA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I was talking to some of them the other day, and they, a lot of them like it because used to it was hard to go hide at work and light a bowl, but they can pop a pill so much easier and discreetly. And, I, you know, that's why it's selling. When you see some of these patients come into, I work on the psych unit with Dr. Quinnis. We see some of the, um, those in meth overdoses, which usually you don't detox for. It's more of a social detox, but they're being admitted to the hospital because they're having psychotic breaks. 
and you're seeing people that do methamphetamine, we do, we end up treating them for long periods of time with Zyprexa because they have crossed over into hearing voices, seeing shadows, and um, things that are very close uh, similarity to schizophrenia. So good. So much knowledge being shared here today. Um, I want to move on with the questions for the sake of time. When dealing with someone in addiction under the age of 18, is it different than dealing with someone over the age of 18? Anyone? Priscilla? I would say the, the root cause would probably be totally different. Most issues for teens would be experimental or emotional driven. Adults often turn to drugs because of uh, trauma, related events, um, divorce, bankruptcy, death, but can also be triggered by memories of a childhood abuse. That's so good. Anyone else? Okay. What would you say to a parent that has a child in active addiction? Don't enable them yes. by any form. Amen. Define enabling. By, you know, love them, but give them like the congressional uh, uh, way of love and not the judgmental way. You know, we have so many parents or, you know, just church alone. If they hear about a teen or someone doing drugs or, you know, they slipped and fell, they shun from them. And that's the worst thing that you can do to a person that doesn't fail or in any kind of addictions. You got to love them and uplift them and give them hope because if you shot them, that's just going to make it even worse. Yes. So good. Point. On that point, as parents, punishment is not what we're supposed to do. Correction is what we're supposed to do. Punishment is done from anger. Correction is done from love. And so the approach to how we redirect behavior is very important. Um, you, can, you can be trying to achieve a goal and either build somebody up to make them believe they can do better or tear them down to make them think they're a failure. Yes. And it's just a matter of two or three different words. We gotta be very careful. I, uh, I just recently had a chance to go down to Grenada and speak at the ICS Head Start Department. And uh, I spoke on the wisdom to know, how to, to know when to listen, is what I spoke about. And what I meant by that was, is what has happened? When you listen to your child, what has changed? What has happened in their life to make that change? So there, there, there we are, okay, your, your child comes home and says a cuss word, why did your child come home and say that cuss word? What has that child been exposed? What portal has been opened? Yes. You talked about that last night. Something has happened. I know in my own personal life, you know, being molested as a child, I know my actions changed because I'm the person that lived it. So as a parent, and I'm not, I, I, my, if my mom and dad sees this, please don't think that I'm, you know, talking bad about you because you, you raised me, you've you done an awesome job. But it, in the same sense, when do we question our ch children for why this changes and how this changed and the time? You know what I'm saying? How do you go from there? You've got to have the wisdom, the wisdom, 
the wisdom. <laughs> you gotta have the wisdom. Wisdom. <laughs> you got. To, he means wisdom. I do need wisdom. Yes. You've got to have the wisdom to know when to, as you said a while ago, to hold them and when to fold them. That's right. You know, because they'll tell us a lot if we will hold and listen. Yes. They'll tell us a lot. So, so good. Anybody yeah. else on that? Yeah, and and with that as well, here, uh, you know, for parents also is uh, don't uh, come under the uh, deception that oh, it'll never happen to my child. Yeah. You know, because well, not not just only that deception, but also. I'm just going to call it like it is. You got uh, family members that are in church or in businesses. It's well known in the community. So the last thing they're fixing to do is try to address the issue with their child because they don't want the community, other different people to see it. And it's, and, and, and so they sweep it under the rug uh, and they try to address it the best they can at home, which it doesn't do anything uh, except pushes it more. And maybe you're a parent that don't know what to do, how to do it. I've never been in this situation before or anything. Well, there's several people up here and all around that have the help and the knowledge and be more than happy. Here recently this past year, the Lord's had me working and dealing with youth a whole lot more than I ever have. I actually told the Lord beforehand, I was doing it for about four years and then I stopped and I told the Lord, I said, I'm never going to deal with youth again until he said, no, you're going to do what I told you to do. And so this past year, anyways, I've been dealing with a lot younger youth uh, that's been dealing with addiction and just going and sitting with them and meeting with them and talking to them and uh, meeting them in JDC and other different areas. And so if you as a parent don't know what to do and never dealt with it before, well, there's resources. Reach out to somebody. Somebody would love to talk with them and give you the help that you need. So good. So good. So the next question is for people that is not seeing, uh, for people that may not be seeing this, that is not in Mississippi, how can they find help in their states? I think you answered this a little bit ago, but will you reiterate what you was talking about, how you can find help in different states and different places? Yeah. Um, in most states, um, there's a department that, uh, helps parents, Whoever is looking for services, there's ways to log on through the internet for like in Mississippi, Department of Mental Health has wonderful resource guides that can tell you exactly where to go, whether it's an individual dealing with an intellectual disability, whether it's somebody dealing with a substance use disorder, if it's somebody dealing with anything, you can usually go on and find resource guides with your local mental health centers or your local community mental health centers. Those are the ones that are right next to you. Like. In, in Mississippi, you have regional mental health centers that are all over the place. You can walk straight in the door and say, we need help. What can we do? But I always refer people to the, to the website with Department of Mental Health. You can go on the substance use disorder website and you can pull up the resource guys and it lists out all the, all the uh, places in Mississippi that have something to do through the substance use disorder treatment network that we have. And you can go on there and they got names, numbers, contact information. It'll tell you a little bit about the treatment center to give you the address where the treatment centers are. Uh, those are unique tools that most people I find just don't even know about. It kind of surprises me because they're there and nobody knows about it. So uh, I would highly recommend we use that internet for everything else. We can use it for some positive stuff too. <laughs> so good, so good. Uh, Pastor David, do you have anything on that? I know you operate in, in uh, two or three different states. So. Um, Yes, as far as us, we got we have a women's center in Arkansas, and we're in Tennessee in a women's center, two men's centers in a women's center in Tennessee, and then we're in Olive, Olive Branch, Mississippi. But uh, yeah, I'd I'd pretty much I'm I'm just a big proponent of faith based. I mean, I, uh, 
not that, you know, I have a lot of friends that when God touched them in a secular treatment center, I honor what you do. Uh, I, I love it when there's a secular treatment center, it's got God figuring people in there. That, that, that's what people need. But my journey was doing street ministry and, and getting people at first it started getting them into secular treatment centers, but they weren't very good. <laughs> you know, I can say that, but even there was a, then started getting them to a rescue mission. Even it was faith-based and it wasn't very good. <laughs> you know, I mean, they had pe people getting killed in there, you know, and it was faith-based. So, you know, and that's kind of why we started the warrior center, just trying, trying to get people help. But I just, I'm just a big proponent of there, there's faith-based centers and, and programs or great secular treatment centers that have some, some Christians in there. <laughs> that's what you need, you know, with God, wisdom everywhere you just got to do the digging you know yes. you, you just got to find and yes. of course usually if you're a Christian and you're trying to get somebody help you need to ask God to help you and he, he'll lead yes. you but I, I, there's there's great places all over the country that they do it in different ways but God is using them amen that's awesome thank you for that um, you got anything else on that as far as I know, I, I was down in Broken Lives just uh, the first of last week, carried a guy down, and uh, there was a guy that came in on a bus. They had went and picked him up at the bus stop. So there's options. You know, if you don't have transportation, places will come and help you get there. They'll do whatever needs to be done. So many ways. Um, I have had this question asked to me recently. When dealing with a person or child that has a disability and they may be handicapped, but they're still addicted, they still need treatment. How is, how's that process work, and where where could they find help for that? This that's looking for. I mean, to be in house inpatient treatment. Do y'all offer that for disabled people? So you said child. So we're eighteen and over. Okay. So you have to be an adult to access care with us. There are specialized treatment facilities that deal with individuals that may have an intellectual disability but still in need of treatment. They're out there, they exist. There are, there are specialized facilities all over the place. And you can still access those facilities the same way we were talking about. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, Brentwood Hospital in Jackson uh, is right next door to where I work at. There's a lot of adolescent uh, programs there. Um, to deal with the intellectual disabilities in conjunction with um, the addiction. So I would start there. Also, a good friend of mine uh, works for a program in McGee, Mississippi. So um, I can't quite remember the name right now, but if anybody's watching, you can always just hit me up on Facebook and Messenger. I know we're talking about all the stuff of the Internet, which is awesome, um, but I get many messages through the week on Facebook Messenger, hey, where can I get my sister? Where can I get my brother? Where can I get my mom? So if you see anybody up here, just hit them up on Facebook. Yes, hey, I need some yes. help. So, um, and we'll be able to point you in the direction. But for an adolescent that's having uh, intellectual problems along with addiction, I would start uh, maybe Brentwood Hospital in Flowood, Mississippi. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, uh, I like what she said about the, uh, if anybody is watching this at a later time, feel free to reach out to yes. any of us up yes, here because uh, the resources are not just here on the stage, but we got back pockets full of other resources mm -hmm. that we haven't yes. even spoke of here. Right. But I do want to say this, if anybody's in here or watching, dealing with adolescents and youth, I've been learning that throughout this year, going through some things with individuals right now. Uh, there, there is, you know, like Brentwood, there's a lot of... Uh, places like that for adolescents, 
but I'm going to speak from my heart for a moment. There's not a lot of faith-based stuff for adolescents. And so if anybody's in here or anybody's watching that the Lord has tugged on your heart to step out in that, of course, first and foremost, seek the Lord. Yes. But I say there is a need for it. And if yes. you feel led, you know, seek the Lord. And uh, I believe it would definitely be a good fit. The only faith-based I know of is Adult and Teen Challenge yes, that was started by Brother David Wilkerson. Um, we have Mercy House Adult and Teen Challenge in uh, close to where we live. Both of my brothers have completed that program. <laughs> but um, Adult and Teen Challenge, they do have a program for adolescents. It's way more strict because of the schooling and stuff that has to take place with minors. But that's another option is just look up Adult and Teen Challenge. Thank you for that. Um, I, I, I want to add something right quick. So Broken Lives is not set up to accept pregnant women. That was something else I meant to say a minute ago. But there are facilities. I think Flowood, they have state beds and beds that you can go in and pay for pregnant women. They help establish and get them on their feet. So there are facilities also for women that are expecting. I thought about that when you were talking about with disabilities. Mm -hmm. sure. It's great to know. So at this time, we're going to open this up. So if anyone has any questions, please be quick and to the point. We don't have a lot of time, but I know some of you have something. Go for it. So we're seeing most of it in 20-plus-year-olds. Uh, we haven't seen any fentanyl in the youth uh, as of yet, but most of it is adult. Uh, and I, I would go further to say it, most of it's 25 plus years of age. Really? Well, we will. I mean, we have a few, you know, in their 20s, but we haven't had anyone as a juvenile that I'm aware of yet. Anybody else? Let me bring the mic down. <laughs> Kinda just to back up with what Mr. Mark said, we have a 800 number if you Google American Addiction Centers and it's several different states of a facility that you can go to, not just at Oxford Treatment Center. I might say that, that this is Kelsey. She's from our church, but she works at the Oxford Treatment Center. So when she says we, that she was referring to the Oxford Treatment Center. Yeah, she's good people. She's she good is. people now. She is. Uh, the sister here, uh, you mentioned the psychological effects that uh, seeing in the methamphetamine, specifically the... the uh, uh, schizophrenic tendencies or, or, or what are, could, could you expand a little bit more on that and, and what is a, a long-term approach to that type of treatment? Sure. Um, well, I have a good friend who's actually uh, lead Celebrate Recovery in one of our cities in Mississippi now. During her meth addiction, um, she had three uh, drug-induced psychosis episodes where she ended up in a psych hospital hearing voices, hallucinating. So many times addicts have 
um, a predisposition to mental health issues. Like in my family, uh, my father had schizophrenia. My mother had major depression. I have a brother in a hospital right now who has schizophrenia. So we know that if you already have these tendencies and you're predisposed to these type of illnesses, when you do drugs, it just brings it right on up to the surface. Mm -hmm. So you become more of a dual diagnosis type individual. And so my friend, even now, um, she, she's been in church for several years now. She's, she's a leader of Celebrate Recovery, doing a great work for God at one of our apostolic churches. But there are still moments when she becomes extremely stressed out that she will start, you know, maybe seeing a shadow or um, she'll start having, uh, feeling that psychosis feeling again. So the lasting effects it can happen for many years. It can be something that an individual has to deal with for the rest of their life. Once you ever have a psychotic break is very dangerous. So we see individuals that come in and we're having to give them, um, antipsychotic medications to bring them out of the drug-induced psychosis and then them possibly be on that medicine. There may be periods of time when they can titrate off of it. And then we know that stress for people in recovery is a huge trigger. So whenever an individual who's in recovery becomes too stressed out, they can be start feeling triggered to use again or the mental health issue will come to the surface. So um, it it's it can be lasting. Yes. Can I add to that? Um, talking about the psychiatric complexity of cases today. I have never, I've been doing this for 21 years now. I have never seen the amount of psychiatric and medical complexity that I've seen in this population ever. I mean, I've had to hire more doctors and nurses just to take care of people yes. because you, I feel like I'm running a psych hospital most right. of the time and it's because these synthetic compounds that they're putting in all these drugs, yes. I mean, people are coming in and they're fully psychotic yes. and, and it's drug induced 90% of the time and it is hard to treat even with standard medications. Right. I can tell you, I can't tell you how many people end up in the ICU completely sedate because they can't treat it. They have to just pass all of that out of themselves. And even alcohol, we don't even talk about that as much, but I can tell you that you get a chronic alcoholic and they start to, they come in and they're just as normal as you and I. Then two days later, as they start to really experience the withdrawal, they will have psychotic features too, because it's, it's a horrible substance, man. And people yes, think, you know, people think marijuana is safe because it grows from the earth. Well, you know what? Poison ivy grows from the earth, too. I don't see real folks running around smoking poison ivy, you know? It frustrates me. And now you got 15, 20, 30% THC in this stuff, and we're having people coming in, and they're psychotic. And so, I mean, we have got to do something. It's got to be drastic, and it's got to be, we have got to reach our kids. We've got to reach everyone. You can go to this gas station right now, and you can buy TAC vapes. Now, you know, we hadn't even talked about that whole K2 spice synthetic stuff that was out there, and they were selling it to our kids in gas stations. What in the world is a gas station doing selling that stuff, right? Why are you selling TAC vapes two blocks from the school? And not only are you selling them, they're $40, and you got 15 glass cabinets full of them just sitting out. And, it, and it, I get so frustrated with what goes on in this world. And we as a church, we as church people, we as just people who love our neighbor need to get out and go to these gas stations and say, why are you selling this stuff in my neighborhood? Yes, yes. 
You know, why are you doing this? I get tired. I sent somebody in there from my treatment center. I sent them in there to film. And do you know that they, the, the guy had a complete come apart when we were in there filming the stuff in his store and he ran us out, told us we could never come back again. But you know, it's located, right? It's funny how I have a treatment center just down the street and I've never seen so much of that stuff as I see right there around my treatment center. So it's quite frustrating for us. This is, these are the things that our, our children are gonna be exposed to, right? I go, I do some, some talks in schools and I ask the kids, I try to you know, just kind of fill it out because I don't want to educate them on anything. I don't want to tell them about it. But they know more than the drug addicts out of my treatment center. Yeah. They can tell me how much a THC vape costs and how much you need to puff on before you come to school. And I'm like, man, it's just it's tragic what's happening. It's really tragic what's happening. We need to also talk to our local legislators, too, because you know what? They make laws. They can stop this stuff from being sold in gas yes. stations. You know, that's fine. You got the K2 off the shelf. But what's up next, right? Stop whatever the practice is that's allowing them to do it. So we don't have all these individuals coming, trying to come to treatment, and they don't even know if it's day or night. They can't even talk to you because they're so psychotic. And they're good people. They're good people. They've gotten exposed to things that they didn't know. They didn't know this was going to happen to them. I try to train my kids up. I want them to know. You know, I want my kids to know, don't do it, baby. Just don't do it. You don't understand. I know you don't understand right now. And everybody, you know, you know that marijuana is going to come from their best friend. It's not going to come from some guy on the street, you know. That's what I wanted to say. Thanks. I'm a school nurse. I would like to add something, especially on the, on the, the question about me mental health. And understand there's two sides, good information. You have the clinical side, then you have the spiritual side. I'm someone who suffered, you know, severe mental health issues. I was ADHD. They said that at five. So you imagine how bad I was, you know, uh, later on, early teens, manic depression, bipolar. For me, a lot of times it, it was rooted in trauma and then later drugs. So a lot, a lot of the, the mental health issues, they're induced by environment. You would say through trauma and drugs. Now I'm not totally against medication. Sometimes you need it early on stages to, to get help. But understand, I sat down with the psychiatrist, they could do nothing for me. I sat down with the school counselors, they could do nothing. I was the one that they couldn't do anything with me, you know? And, and it's just because I had so much trauma, so much pain, only God could help me. Yes. So you could, you could have thrown Zyprexa, Lithium, you throw on everything but the kitchen sink at me, and nothing was going to change my life but the Lord. So I just, I'm just talking about that from the spiritual side. You got to understand from in the secular realm, the secular people, they want to make their money. Let's be honest. When Jesus healed that demoniac out of the tombs, they got ticked off at him because they messed with their money because the demons went into the pigs and he ran the pigs off this cliff. You got to understand, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but, but, that's where you got you to have the wisdom of God and what you're dealing with. Every person is different. Every situation is different. But you got to be spirit-led about that situation. You cannot just buy everything this pharmaceutical company throw at you. For your child, for your family, you better be wise as a serpent. Because And, and what does he spoke about? Like, what he's seeing. I mean, look at look what's happened to a kid from the 
the, the attacks on our children's sexuality to everything. You could pretty much say a portal has been opened up over America and it's a lot of demonic activity going on. So to understand the spiritual warfare that's going on, Ephesians 6, 12, there's a, a lot of spiritual warfare going over our, on over our families and, 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 and that also leads to drugs. I'm from the spiritual side, not the clinical side. Every drug has a spirit. You talk about meth, that's witchcraft. Yes, so when is. you're when you're doing all that math, that's the, the confusion and the, and the attacks on your brain and your mind. That's why you have a lot of the psychosis and the mental problems. But what's the root? The spirit on this on the clinical side, they got to treat it. But the root cause is the spiritual attack, and that takes a deliverance. I had to go through deliverance. Like I mean, I I was five years in the ministry and still depressed. And, 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 and still barely hanging on and barely making it. And I went to God and I said, like, this is not right. Like, I'm helping homeless people. I'm getting people out of prison. And, and, and yet, you know, there are nights when I'm going, I, I, I go to sleep with tears in my eyes because of all this oppression and depression that was on me. And I'm like, I cannot make it anymore. God took me on a path of deliverance and had to set me free from something out of a Amen. demonic realm Amen. that was causing my, my depression. Now, I'm just speaking from the spiritual side, but there's a lot of spiritual warfare that goes on in addiction and mental health and of course we know it's through doors open to the enemy yes amen well uh, I was going to comment I'm a school nurse and y'all you wouldn't believe how much that stuff is in the public schools I mean it, it's terrible the vapes the weed pens the nerd ropes that you just think is innocent candy and, and kids are overdosing on them. It, it's very sad. But I had a question. Um, as a family member that's watching um, or that's here today, if they have a, a addict and that they're trying to seek help for that does not want help, what is the steps that they can take to help them? I can help a little bit with that. Um... So the state of Mississippi is unique in the sense that we have commitment laws for drug addicts, right? So you can actually go. A lot of times it's handled in different places. Most of the time it's the Chancery Court, and it usually takes the signature of two people, and that person can be picked up by law enforcement, and they have an opportunity. They don't go and no drug test. There's often several things that they do, and they can be committed into a facility. And I like what you said, you know, you may not come in beaming with life, you know, they come in, they don't want to be there most of the time and they can still get something. I have lots of people that come in with a commitment to be in a facility and then they have that connection right. that he was describing. So I highly <laughs> recommend that you need a professional. Um, I have families oftentimes, my own family did an intervention with me. Um, and I will say that, that it was, um, it was powerful for me, but I hurt them, right? So, I mean, I went around that room and I was about the most evil human being that ever walked the planet with every one of them. And then I walked out of that door and I got down to the end of the drive and I stopped at the stop sign and I burst out in tears because there's something about love that penetrates the darkness. Yes. Yes. And there was no way I could tell myself that they didn't love me anymore. Right. Because, you know, that's what drug addiction does. I, I don't know. I mean, this is my experience. I was the most worthless, unlovable sack of garbage that God ever put on the face of the earth, period. I wasn't even worth saving. So why not? Why would I stop using? Right. And when I had people that stood around me like that and I watched my dad, I, you know, my dad was a tough old bird, man. He was a highway patrolman, tough, mean guy. 
And he looked at me and a tear fell out of his eye. And it shook me. Like, I had never seen that man cry before. You know, never seen him cry. I've seen him. And he's picked up body parts off of roads, right? And but for his son, he became fragile. And I tried to damage him because that's what we do. That's the part that people don't understand about when you're caught in that, you're antisocial, you're angry, you're mean, you're reactive. You don't want somebody touching the hurt spot and we can be the most evil people on the planet. I mean, you know, hospitals don't want us. They try to send them out to me all the time because they don't want our population. Schools really don't want us around either. It's hard to deal with people. And sometimes the church don't want us. Go in there and get damaged. That's a hard thing to do, right? Because we're supposed to be reflection. I mean, Jesus came and hung out with us. That's right. You know, he loved us. He came to save the broken. And we're hard. I can tell you every day, there's question, I question myself, can I keep doing this? You know, how much longer can we go? If you don't get cussed out at least 10 times a week, you ain't really doing your job, right? You know, I mean, I get accused of everything. I mean, he pointed at me and said, you gave me COVID, right? You know, that kind of stuff. Like, you are the reason my wife's leaving me. It wasn't all that heroin I was putting in my arm. It's you, right? Those are the kind of things that we get. And we, we, when, I, when I try to teach my staff, I said, love them anyway. I said, I don't care if they're talking about you and your mama and everything that you think is wrong with you and they're cussing you in that spot and it hurts like crazy when you hear it because you don't think anybody will ever say those things to you. Love them anyway. Because sometimes that hope that's right there, it's very fragile. Yes, it is. And if they really believe you love them, you can help them. All right? I tell you, it changed my life. It was two weeks after that. It's funny. It's two weeks must be my thing. It was two weeks after that intervention that all this other stuff started to happen where I even, even ever thought about the idea that I didn't want to use drugs every day. You know? So this, that would be my suggestion. So my husband and I work um, together in prison ministry, and um, I've never had any interaction much with anybody with drug abuse um, until actually later in life, there's some family members of mine that um, are in drug addiction actively now. Um, but my first encounter was inside prison walls. And um, I'm able to, privilege to teach a boundaries class there every week. And I guess I'm just wondering, um, the drug epidemic inside of our prison is absolutely the most insane thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, and it's heartbreaking to see people that want help and can't get it. And um, I guess I'm just wondering from a pastor's wife that has no clear understanding of real what addiction is, how do I help them? What do I say? And how can I be a conduit that the Lord can help change them where they're at? because a lot of them aren't leaving. And that's when the addiction gets even deeper is when they realize that when they look at that paper and it's 51 years before they come up for parole, how do I help them to see that there's hope even where they're at? Just keep showing up. Yeah. Yes. Just keep doing what you're doing. 
keep love loving them. them. Yep. Yes. Keep loving them and never change. Mm-hmm. Never, if it doesn't matter if you're having a bad day or not, you never show that you are. You just go in there as the same person you are. And I know a lot of people that love you. I've watched you in the prison and you are a phenomenal and you might not believe it, but you are being a huge impact on those people's yes. lives. Amen. So good. With, with that being said, I know what it feels like to have someone coming in from the free world to sit with us and to engage with us. That's some of, that's some of the people hope. You are their hope. Some, some of the guys and women, they look forward to seeing your face and giving them encouragement every time you step through them doors. So keep being faithful to that and keep doing what you're doing, and I promise you, you will see the results. Awesome. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I just I want to say this as well because there's a lot of people that's like I've never dealt with addiction. I don't like. How can I ever help anybody that's ever dealt with addiction or anything? I've never dealt with that. Listen, some of the greatest people that had an impact in my life were those who didn't ever deal with addiction. Why do I say that? Because I'm. I am. Um, uh, you've dealt with addiction, so yeah, of course I expect you to probably understand me and love me, all this other stuff. So I'm already an outcast in my mind to society that's never dealt with it. So if you've never dealt with it and you come to me with a genuine love, I then build up some self-confidence. Like, you know what? Society can love me and that hope keeps coming. And, and what happens is people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you keep showing up, sister, they're going to know how much you care. Amen. So good. So good. We, we, we're going to do two more questions. Brother Jimmy here has one, and then Pastor V has one, and then we're going we're gonna to go to lunch. All right, yeah. I don't want to stand in between you and lunch. Uh, the, uh, the question I was going to ask the law enforcement DA side, um, and he brought it, that you did it great about the, the pens, but me and my wife, we deal with a lot of people in recovery and leaders and stuff. And we have seen, you know, talking about the gas stations. That's where everybody goes, in and out of gas. You got to get gas to be movable. The, the, the side of what I want to ask the DA, um, is there any legislation about getting these, I've, a lot of people's getting hooked on Viva Zins and Kratom. And these are substances that are not even controlled. I mean, they're... FDA, all that. There's nothing. I don't see how they're able to sell it, sell these chemicals. Uh, but I was going to ask you: Is there any legislation to 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 go against that? Because people, you got people. Methamphetamine is the number one thing right now. They're just trading their addiction to these Vivazins, this kratom, uh, zazas, and these things cost like. Uh, I have a brother-in-law that struggles. And, uh, you know, it's $25 for this little, and, and they disguise them in these five-hour energy. That's what they look like. But you take them, and I, I know people that are spending $200, $300 a day drinking these things. So I'm wondering, are they trying to get that off the, the market? Yes, sir, they are. Um, and, you know, what you talked about in our schools, that's, that's our problem with the youth is the vapes and all this. And it's all synthetics. And in my experience, now it's, it's nothing clinical, but 
the actual drug is a lot safer than the synthetics over the years. Uh, you know, you had bath salts and stuff come out years ago. So what we do in our community is, and I've done it three or four times now, we write and get county and city ordinances passed to stop selling it. Legislation runs two years behind. Okay, well, when we're dealing with synthetics, they pass a law, and when legislation meets and they decide to pass a law, well, it don't take effect until July the 1st of the next year. Well, before it ever takes effect, the company has changed one molecule in that synthetic, and it no longer falls under that. Okay, it's that easy, and the laws can't stay ahead of the chemist and everything, and you can get ordinances passed sooner, quicker than state law. That's good. That's good. Pastor V? Well, I, I want to say thank you again to everyone up here. And I'm sitting here, and we've been going about an hour and 46 minutes, and I'm thinking we could do this for three or four hours and not exhaust the subject. I would like to extend an invitation to, to all of you to come back again where we can, can do this some more. Um, one of the things I, I had a, and I'm, this isn't a question. I just, I, I meant to tell him I wanted to close with a story. If I could go for it. Um, I have a, a friend that's a pastor that had a family member that was delivering for DoorDash. Um, good Holy ghost filled man. And uh, he would have to pick up food from bars to take and deliver. And the food wouldn't be ready, so he'd sit there. And they'd offer him drinks for free because he had to wait. And he'd refuse. And then the waitress started flirting with him. And then before long, he's in a full-blown affair, walking away from his family. And he's an alcoholic. His life is a mess. Because he's related to the pastor, the pastor wants me to counsel him because it's too close to him. And so I'm sitting at a restaurant and I'm listening to this guy tell me all, I mean, all this stuff he's done. He's pouring out his heart and I'm sitting on the other side and I'm praying, God, I don't know what to tell him. I have no idea what to say. I don't know how to help this man. And he's just going on about how worthless and how he's ruined everything. He's destroyed his children's lives and his wife and, you know, <clears throat> And the Lord spoke to me two weeks earlier in March of 2020, I had been in Jerusalem and as a Pentecostal, you know, ground zero is, is Jerusalem and ground zero of ground zero is the upper room, the birthplace of the church. And I was sitting in the upper room and I was reading the book of Acts and the apostle Peter says, let me speak freely of the patriarch David. And so we like to talk about David. Two people have mentioned him. He's a giant killer. He's killed a lion and he killed a bear and he's a king and he's a psalmist and a man after God's own heart. But you can't speak freely of David without also talking about all the stuff he did wrong. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. If you ever go to Jerusalem and you go to the upper room, in the room right below the upper room, is a room that houses the tomb of David. And while I was sitting with that man, 
the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And he said, you tell that man that if I poured my spirit over the body of David, an adulterer and a murderer, I'll pour my spirit on him again. And so for anybody in this room that you feel like you've done too much, you've gone too far, that, you're, that, that you can't ever do anything for God, let me speak freely of David. If God poured his spirit over the body of David, he'll pour it on your life. There is hope for you. There is hope for you. There's hope for you. And there's hope here right now. Lord, in Jesus' name. God, all this is about you. You are the only real hope. I want to pray, God, for all these folks here on this platform that are pouring their life and their heart into trying to help people. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them Give them your grace and your wisdom on all three sides that are represented, all four sides, the church, secular rehab, secular centers, religious faith-based centers, and law enforcement. I pray, God, that you would grant your grace and wisdom to these men and women who really and truly are on the front lines trying to help save our communities. And God, I pray for everyone that's in this room and everyone that's watching at some point in the future, I pray God for the anointing of the Holy Ghost to move in people's lives and in people's hearts. I ask you, God, to help us to work together to be reflections of you. God, there's no one that's beyond your reach, and there's no one too dirty, and there's no one too broken that your grace can't make the difference. I feel his presence here. Why don't you just reach over to the person next to you if there's somebody. And why don't we just pray together for a moment. Lord, in Jesus' name, everyone here's your child. They all have their own stories. They all have, we, we all have our own level of brokenness. We all need you. We need your spirit. We need your presence. We need your help. We need you, God, to guide us. Lord, whether we're in recovery right now or we're trying to help people find recovery, God, what the answer is, is you. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us as your people not to look beyond, not to look past people that are hurting, but we are to be your hands. We're to be your voice. We're to be your representative. We are ambassadors for Christ in this world. Help us to represent you well in Jesus' name. Amen. Craig, I'm sorry for taking over. It's no, you, you, you're great, bro. Thank you for that. We're fixing to go out to the gymnasium, to the cafeteria out here. We got a cookout. It's free of charge. Please come join us. It's 352. The open mic starts at 430, so come and enjoy it. Give everybody a good hand up here. Thank you all so much for joining us.